saying no is the hardest thing. Who's ever been on a diet? Few of us. Yeah, who's on a diet now? <laughs> yes. No, you don't go on diets on Sunday. You start on Monday, didn't you know that? <laughs> it's like when you're on a diet and you've been good for days and days and you're at the checkout and in your trolley you've got your low-fat yogurt and your carrot sticks and then you glance down to the side and there's that evil rack that they put there that's full of chocolate and your favourite dark chocolate cherry ripe just is sitting there longing to be picked up and it's just so hard to say no. Or you're about to walk into class and you've got a maths test and one of your friends pulls you aside and says, guess what, someone in the other class did the test the other day and they've got all the answers. Do you want them? They're right here. And you know you should say no, but you haven't really studied as much as you should have. And so it's really difficult to say no to that temptation. Or you're a married man and one of the girls at the office is really attractive. And you know that she finds you attractive because she's been flirting with you a bit. And you know that things could go further if you wanted them to. Deep down, you know you're that you should say no, but things at home haven't been that great and she appreciates you and she understands you in a way that your wife never has. Or you spend a lot of time on the internet and you realise that if you do certain searches or you click on certain links that you get to see all sorts of stuff, pictures and videos of things that you never had imagined existed. And it's so private and nobody knows about it, but you know it's wrong and you're just going to check your email, but the link's just there and you know that you should say no, but the temptation is so strong. Temptation is all around us. We face it every day. And guess what? The early Christians that James was writing his letter to, the letter that we've started working through over these past few weeks, they were no different. They struggled with temptation just like we do. So what did James have to say about temptation? Let's have a look. We're in James chapter 1 and we're reading from verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. 
So let's look a little bit more closely at what James says about temptation because I believe that we can learn from his teaching some things that will help us when we face temptation. The first thing you might not have even noticed, it's in verse 13, just a little word. When. James says, when you are being tempted. You'll notice he doesn't say, if you're being tempted. He says, when. Temptation is inevitable. You can count on it. You can depend on it. It's going to happen. You are going to face temptation. We all face it. And that's an important thing to remember because often we struggle with guilt when we're tempted, don't we? We feel bad that we're attracted to this certain thing that we know is wrong. Don't forget that Jesus was tempted. He was in the desert for 40 days, suffering constant temptation. And Jesus was without sin. So temptation isn't sin. Remember that. And because of that, you can let go of the guilt. Temptation is not sin. But make no mistake, temptation can lead to sin. We all know that, don't we? And often it does. So that's the first thing that James tells us about temptation. It's inevitable. We're all going to struggle with temptation of some sort. The second thing that James tells us is that temptation is never initiated by God. Verse 13 is very clear. God does not tempt us. James says that temptation comes from our own desires, our own weaknesses, which then Satan uses to try and trap us and bring us down. God doesn't tempt us, but he does allow us to be tempted. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, it says, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So did you see that? It says God will not allow you to be tempted. So God does allow us to be tempted. Why? To grow our character, to make us stronger and to test our faith. But he also promises that he won't let us be tempted beyond what we can handle. And he will show us a way out so that with him beside us, we can resist and be strong. Then in verses 13 and 14, James tells us another thing about temptation. He says that temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So there's a pattern that temptation follows. There's the desire which drags us away. That leads to sin which eventually leads to death. Literally, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. So, temptation that leads to sin causes death in so many ways. Not just because the wages of sin is death. It also 
causes death in our relationships, in our character, in our faith, in our self-esteem, in so many ways. Now, I'm not that much of a fisher person or a fisher woman or whatever you would call me, but I do know a little bit about fishing. I know that if you want to catch a fish, you have to use some bait, right? Fishermen, yes, fisherwomen, or a lure. Yeah, but there has to be something that's going to attract the fish, right? And you have to choose a bait that attracts and interests the fish. And depending on what fish you want to catch, that influences the type of bait that you're going to choose, yeah? If you want to catch blackfish, what do you use? Weed, that's right. If you want to catch brim, you use a prawn or maybe a lure. So then you throw the bait in. Hopefully it doesn't fall off in midair like what happens to me. You throw the, the line in with the bait on it and at some point, hopefully, a fish comes swimming by. Then he sees the bait or she, could be a girl fish, and he says, wow, a prawn, I love prawns. And at that point, the fish has to make a decision. Either he can swim by or he can go after the bait. If he swims by, he's safe. If he goes for the bait, you know where he ends up. In the frying pan. That's right. Do you see the pattern? There's the appealing thing, the desire. Then there's the choice. And then there's the sin, which leads to death. And temptation in our lives works the same way. The bait is thrown in front of us and it looks really good. It's appealing. And we have a choice to bite or to swim on by. And the choice to bite, eventually it leads to death. And let there be no mistake about this at all. The best fisherman in the world is Satan. And he knows where we're the weakest. He knows what bait to throw in front of us. He knows what temptations we're most likely to fall for. And that's going to be different for each one of us. He knows the best bait to use and he uses it. So three things from James about temptation. The first one, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. You're going to be tempted. The second one, the temptation is not the sin, but it can lead to sin. Third one, there's a pattern. There's a desire, there's a choice, there's sin and there's death. So if temptation is going to happen to all of us, what do we do? How do we deal with temptation in a way that honours God? Well, there's a guy in the Old Testament who faced incredible temptation and he managed to stand up to it. So tonight I just want to spend a little bit of time looking at the life of Joseph to find out how he dealt with temptation and I hope it'll give us some strategies for dealing with the temptations that we're all going to face. 
Many of you will know the story of Joseph. You can read about it in Genesis 37. I'll give you a quick synopsis. Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob and he was the favourite son. Understandably, because of this, Joseph's brothers were very jealous of him. So they decided to get rid of him. One day out in the fields, they stripped him, put blood on his coat so his father would think he was dead, threw him in a well and sold him to some passing slave traders. So Joseph was taken to Egypt and he was purchased as a slave by an Egyptian official named Potiphar. Potiphar was rich and he was powerful. And before long, Potiphar realised that Joseph was an exceptionally gifted young man and he put him in charge of his whole household. The Bible tells us that not only was Joseph capable and godly, but that he was well-built and handsome. That's what the Bible says. He's a hunk. He's a hottie, <laughs> you'd say if you're under 18. He was a good-looking guy, smart, fit, attractive man. And it's this quality that Mrs. Potiphar, his boss's wife, notices. And verse 7 of Genesis 39 says that after a while, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph and she said, come to bed with me. Now, I don't know whether she was that upfront about it, but that's how the Bible tells the story. She tried to seduce him. Now, that's a pretty direct approach, if that's how it happened. Hi, Joseph, come to bed with me. Mrs. Potiphar's husband's at work, she's at home, she longs for a little pizzazz and excitement in her life, and she's used to getting what she wants, I'd imagine. And so she approaches the hot young slave and says, how about it? Now, Joseph must have been tempted. He was a normal, red-blooded young man in the prime years of his life, and this woman was offering herself to him on a platter. And you can almost imagine the thoughts that must have been going around in his head. Wow, this is one of the highest ranking women in Egyptian society and, and she's got the hots for me. I imagine there would have been some toing and froing in his head, some attempts at justification. You know, I was brought to this country against my will. My family life was taken from me. Nothing ever good happens to me. I deserve a little bit of pleasure in my life. What harm can it do? Besides, this, this actually might help my career. Or he might have thought, if I, did, if I don't sleep with this woman, she could make my life miserable. She might even have me killed. Huge temptation for a young man. But Joseph loved God. And he knew that to sleep with Potiphar's wife would be wrong. So how did he handle it? Well, he refused her for two reasons. Firstly, because of his relationship with her husband. Look, he says, my, my master has put me in charge of everything in this house. He's withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Considering all the trust he's placed in me, how can, I, how can I stab him in the back? How can I violate the confidence 
that he's placed in me. And secondly, because of his relationship with God. He says, how, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? My God who's been with me every moment of my life. Why would I want to do something that would destroy my relationship with him? Proverbs 14.15 says that a simple man believes anything but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. And it seems like that's what Joseph did. He weighed up. What's this going to mean for my relationship with my boss? What's this going to mean for my walk with the Lord if I go along this path? And that's the first thing that we can learn from Joseph when we face temptation. We need to think it through. Ask yourself, what are the red flags in this situation? What will be the consequences if I give in to this temptation? What will this do to my relationship with my husband or my wife or my kids or my friends or my parents? What will it do to my relationship with God? We forget so easily when we're caught up in the pressure of the moment, don't we? That all of sin has consequences. People get hurt. Dreams get shattered. Lives get wasted. And our Heavenly Father, the Creator God, our Saviour, our Lord, weeps. So that's number one strategy for dealing with temptation. Think it through. And don't wait till the heat of the moment to think it through. Think, of, think it through in the, the cold, hard light of day before you get to the situation. Number one, think it through. So what happened to Joseph? Well, unfortunately, Mrs. Potiphar was not so easily put off. She spoke to Joseph day after day and he kept refusing her. So then he decided to avoid her altogether. He tried as much as possible to keep out of her way. This is the second thing that we can learn from Joseph. Joseph decided to avoid Mrs. Potiphar as much as possible. And we need to do the same thing when we're faced with temptation. We have to identify our Mrs. Potiphar's and as much as possible avoid them. So if your Mrs. Potiphar is gambling, stay away from the clubs. If your Mrs. Potiphar is drinking, don't hang out at the pub. If your Mrs. Potiphar is a girl at work, go the long way so you don't have to walk past her desk. Make sure that your brakes don't coincide. If your Mrs. Potiphar is your computer, put it somewhere where other people can see it. If it's chocolate, make sure there's none in the fridge. And whatever you do, don't go to Max Brenner. Joseph avoided the temptation. And we need to do the same thing. So that's strategy number two, avoid. But for Joseph, simply avoiding wasn't enough. One day the Bible says, Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. This is so typical of the way Satan tempts us. He'll set the scene perfectly. He'll make sure you've got plenty of privacy, 
plenty of opportunity and then he'll say, look, nobody will know. There's no one even here. You'd be a fool not to take advantage of this. The Bible says Mrs. Potiphar caught Joseph by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. She's no longer simply propositioning Joseph. It's getting physical. This is big time sexual harassment. But still, Joseph resisted. He pulled himself away, the Bible says, and left his cloak in her hand. So she's got his coat and he goes, "Uh uh-uh, rips off the coat and runs out of the house. Joseph was some young man, wasn't he? That takes incredible resolve. But he did it. He turned around and he ran. And that's number three. Run. When things are getting heated and the temptation is becoming more than you can bear, sometimes the best thing you can do is just get out. Turn around and run the other way. There's a great scene in the movie Forrest Gump when these kids are throwing rocks at Forrest and at first he doesn't know what to do and then Jenny, she says, what does she say? Run, Forrest, run! (laughs) That's right. That advice applies to temptation. When the enemy is throwing things at you and it's more than you can bear, just turn around and run the other way. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, flee sexual immorality. 2 Timothy 2, 22 says, flee the evil desires of youth. Flee, run, get out of there, unplug the computer, quit your job, change your shifts, run, forest, run. And then hang on to the promise of God from the first verse that we read. In this passage, verse 12 of James chapter 1, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Think, avoid, run. And remember that God is with you. And he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. He will give you a way out. He'll strengthen you. And when you patiently endure, he will bless you and reward you with abundant life. Before I finish, I just want to briefly say something about guilt. Because if you're anything like me, you're looking at your life and you're saying, yeah, I really admire Joseph. I wish I could be that strong. But I'm so weak. I've given in to temptation so many times. God must despise me. If that's you, I want you to listen to these verses. Romans 8.1 So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. 1 John 1, 9, But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Psalm 103 verse 12. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Isaiah 1.18 Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Because of Jesus, we don't have to live with guilt. Our sin is dealt with. Just come to Jesus. Tell him what you've done. He knows anyway. Tell him you're sorry. And it's dealt with. You're washed clean. You're white as snow. And you can start afresh. How good is our God? Let's pray. Lord, we're so weak. We fail so often. We give in to temptation. We put our own pleasure before your commands. And Lord, for that, we're sorry. We're sorry for the way that we fail you so often. We thank you for your love, your amazing love that accepts us and loves us just as we are. We thank you that you've dealt with sin so that we can be free of guilt. But Lord, we want to be people who conquer. We want to receive the reward and the blessing that is available for those who stand strong against Satan's tricks and ploys. Lord, help us to be like Joseph. When we're faced with temptation, like we all are, help us to think and to avoid and, if necessary, to run. And we ask that you'd strengthen us by your Holy Spirit because we can't do this on our own. And thank you that we don't need to live with the guilt. Thank you that your amazing love and what you did on the cross means that we can start afresh. So Lord, bless your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.